You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Well, welcome back to our Redefined series. Looking at this series, Redefined, basically this is about the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus basically talked about this in Matthew uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And he was talking about the kingdom of God. He was introducing himself as the king, having a new domain. It's not a political kingdom, but it's, uh, it's a kingdom that transcends boundary lines and geography. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really about capturing the human soul and the, the human heart. Wherever God rules, that is his domain. And so he went on to talk about the, the Beatitudes. He talked about uh, us being uh, influencers of the society that we're in, that you and I are supposed to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. How many of you are salt and light? Please uh, lift up your hand. If you are salt and light, you are, you know, you are salt and light. You are called to preserve. You are called to be an example to many. You are called to, to share a, a wonderful testimony. And talking about salt and light, how many of you know that as salt and light, we are called to love our city as well? And, um, you know, that's exactly what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is not just proclaiming the gospel. It's also about demonstrating the love of God to the people around us. And so, as a church, we don't just preach the gospel in the four corners or the four walls of this auditorium. But it's really about what we do outside of these halls. It's really about us, what we do outside of the places of worship. And how many of you know that the church is not supposed to be confined in buildings? Because we are the church. We are the people of God. And you, wherever you go, that is where the church is. And so we've taken on this mandate of the Lord, if I, if, I, if I may say that. Part of our discipleship is not just to preach the gospel. It's actually to show the people about the love of God. And that's exactly what Love the City is all about. And so, you know, uh, last week, or now yesterday, yesterday we had a, uh, a big gathering of the uh, employees of one of the barangays here in the city. We entitled this Love the City because how I many of you love Alabang? You love, you love, you love this city. You love Montinlupa. You know, this the city where God has placed us in. We're burdened to see transformation happen in this city. Amen. And so I know that there's a lot of work to do. But we can focus on one, you know, one place at a time and one barangay at a time. And so God has given us a deep burden to reach out to this particular barangay. One, uh, once a month, we do a, an outreach service, so to speak. Uh, it happens to be that the barangay captain happens to be a, a member of our church attending faithfully in the 5 o'clock service of Festival Mall. That's uh, barangay captain uh, Allen. And uh, so he opened basically his barangay for us to come in and basically, you know, for the church to step in and be a blessing to that community. To the barangay. And so we've been doing this uh, once a month. And yesterday we did a, something special for the employees of the barangay. There are about 250 employees of the barangay. Can, can you believe that? That's a big barangay. Okay? These are not uh, the people living in the barangay. These are the employees of the barangay. Okay? I, I guess it's, yeah, it's, it's bigger than our church. Okay? So, um, so yesterday we actually sponsored an event for them. We did a, uh, a kind of like a team building for them. We booked a, uh, a place. It's, uh, it's in, along, Vers- uh, along the Anghari. It's called Versailles, the, the clubhouse there. So we brought in all the employees just to be able to bless them. And, you know, we, we have several of our people sponsor and gave some goods and, you know, free insurances for them just for a year. Just so that we can bless them. We just want to be a blessing to the community that we are in. And so Pastor Ryan uh, Gidor, who's our discipleship pastor, one of our lead pastors, pastors uh, during Saturdays, spearheaded this event together with some of our pastors and leaders and some of our volunteers. So they went there. Uh, this is uh, Barangay Captain uh, Allen. You know, he's got a great heart. He loves his employees. We love the city. We love the barangay. So we did, we did this for them. You know, many of them are not yet Christians. Many of them are not believers. But yet we believe that God will open a door for us to reach out to their, to their families. Amen. What a wonderful way for us to reach out the community and not just wait for them to come to church, but the church goes out to reach out to them. Amen. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That's the kingdom of God there. It's expanding the kingdom of God. It's going out into places uh, and situations wherein sometimes it's unreachable, but yet God has allowed us to go inside and be a blessing to our community. And so these are some of the pictures or the highlights that happen. They're just so happy, you know, just uh, being there, doing some, uh, I don't know, some activities, team building activities. Really, it's about us just ushering them into the kingdom of God. Maybe some of you have noticed that we have a sign outside as well. Uh, we've decided on as a church to take this on to another level. We don't want just this to be a one-time event. And how many of you know that when you talk about uh, expressing the, the, the love and expressing, demonstrating the gospel, we have to be there consistently. You know, it's not about us just doing one event. You know, how many of you have a family, you know, you don't just show your love to your children once a month. Or, you know, you show it regularly. And so we felt like we need to follow it up with, you know, uh, Love the City uh, Christmas. Uh, give a Noche Buena. How many of you love Christmas? P- Filipinos love Christmas. We love to eat. Uh, we love to celebrate the holidays. And so uh, what we're doing is we're launching this in our church, our congregation here in Alabang particularly. And uh, we felt like we want to continue to be a blessing to our community. And so this is what we're going to be doing, okay? This is still part of my message. Don't worry, okay? Uh, it's give a gift a Noche Buena. What do we mean by this? We want to be able to be a blessing to 1,225 families in our community. Everybody say 1,225. Maybe you're asking, why 1,225? Check the math. 1225. There you go. It's just just a random number, but we just want to celebrate Christmas. Uh, 1225 is not the population of the barangay. We just want to raise up goods that will actually celebrate Noche Buena for different families. So as little as 300 pesos, you can actually feed a family of five. You You cannot imagine how little it could take to bless a family. For the holidays. 300 pesos is what you spend sometimes in one time, you know, just going to Jollibee or McDonald's or maybe going for a cup of coffee uh, in Coffee Bean, okay? So we can give, like, you know, just check, check the details outside. If you're interested in joining us, I don't have to go to the details here. But as little as 300, we can all become a blessing. And so check the dates, you know, October 7 to November 3 will be the time of collecting. Uh, we don't want you to give cash. We want you to give in goods, give in kind, take an effort to go to the grocery and, you know, shop a little bit more than what you have for your grocery for that month so that you can be a blessing to the family. Amen. How many of you know, it's so easy for us to drop money in the offering envelope, but that it takes an effort for us to show the love of God, thinking of a family that I can feed this Christmas. And maybe some of us can feed not just one family. Maybe we can feed a family of five, five families, sorry. You know, maybe, maybe 10 families. I don't know. It's really up to you how God will touch you. But, you know, bring this in the next five weeks. And we're going to be packing them on November 3, distributing them on November 10 and 17. Maybe some of you are wondering, why, to, why so early? They might finish this Noche Buena before December 24. We will teach them self-control. No, 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 just kidding. Uh, because we felt like, this is just the first of the waves of kindness, an acts of kindness we will do in our community. There's another thing that will be coming out right after we do this. Amen? So that's exactly what the kingdom of God is all about. And Jesus came on that mountain teaching about, you know, his kingdom coming in. And he was redefining the law. He was redefining that, you know, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then he talked about anger. He talked about lust. He talked about our relationship with other people. He talked about our motives when we give. He talked about our motives when we fast. He talked about our relationship with our Heavenly Father when we pray the Lord's Prayer. He talked about, you know, non-retaliation. He talked about us not being anxious about anything, not to worry. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, do not worry about Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is coming whether you like it or not, Okay. Let's be grateful for this. And so, you know, we are not to be anxious about anything. And, and today we're going to be talking about chapter 7, and we're in our final stretch of this series. You know, one of the most, I guess, one of those familiar verses, 
And, or let me just ask you this. What do you think is the more famili- most familiar verse in the Bible among Christians? John 3.16. You're absolutely right. But let me ask you this question. What is the most quoted verse by the world or by unbelievers? Don't judge me. Don't judge me. You know, amazingly, this is probably, not, no, that probably, this is the most quoted verse in the Bible. They don't know where it is. They don't understand what it means. They don't know where to find it, but they just know it's in the Bible. And so when we go out there, you know, looking at them, and they are, you know, it's defending what they're trying to do, justifying their sin. What they're saying is, don't judge me. How many of you have heard of this statement, don't judge me? Because I am not a book, right? Don't judge me. How many of you have said this thing? Don't raise your hand anymore. Do not judge. And so we're going to be talking about this. What does this mean for us? How do we apply this? Is God really not wanting us to judge people? Is there really a total prohibition when it comes to judgment for us? What does it mean to judge? What does it mean for us not to judge? And so I'd like to invite everyone to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We'll be reading the first six verses. Matthew chapter 7 verse uh, 1 to 6. And I'd like everyone to stand. Okay? Okay. If you don't have a Bible uh, for today, we will be forgiving. We will not judge you for not bringing your Bible. And I just decided to place the Bible verse right here in front so that you will not feel condemned and judged. Okay? But for those of you who have Bibles, go and look at your um, regular Bibles. We will all be reading from the ESV. English Standard Version of the Bible. Okay, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? Verse 5. You hypocrite. Don't look at the person beside you. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you so much for our time this morning. We ask that you would help us to understand what this means for us, what it means to judge, and why are you saying for us not to judge And I ask, Lord God, that you would give us a proper estimation of how we stand before you. For there is only one lawgiver and one judge, and that is you, O God. We thank you, Lord God, that all the judgment that is due us has been taken by Christ on that cross. We thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Judging others. How many of you are convicted already? Judging others. Oh, wow. How many of you have judged others? I mean, honestly speaking, how many of you have judged others? I'm raising up my hand. You know, this is probably one of the things that we normally do. Unconsciously, you're doing it because, you know, we, we have standards. We may have walked in the church and you find a man that is full of earrings and tattoo and long hair, or you see a woman with, you know, you can't even discern whether it's a belt or a skirt, Uh, and then we tend to look at them from head to toe, and we tend to judge them, and we tend to say, how dare you? 
enter the house of God wearing such things? Have we done that? Or maybe you've gone to the supermarket and you see a woman holding a toddler and the toddler is just crying at the top of his lungs, doing a lot of tantrums. You know, talagang, you know, nagwawala. You know, you know, you as a parent are tempted to get your own rod and discipline that small toddler. And how have we judged that woman and how we realized what she's going through that particular day? Have we gone through maybe driving in the streets and there's a car in front of you that is just driving too slow? And how many of you have judged the driver and said, that's a lady driver? <laughs> Guilty as charged. We tend to judge people. You saw your classmate in a reunion or maybe just bumped into your classmate from high school after 20 years in the mall and you looked at this classmate from head to toe. Either in your mind you're saying, too fat, too ugly, unsuccessful, or go on, you may go on and on and on. We tend to judge people. Or maybe you bring that judgment to church. You tend to judge the worship. Worship is too loud. Worship is too soft. Worship is out of tune. I want to change that you know, the singers. I want to change this. The air condition is too cold. Don't judge me, okay? Anyway. Or maybe you're judging the pastors. You're judging your pastor for not saying too many jokes. Or maybe each, you know, Sunday is a day for you to give a critique of the preaching. Ah, oh, this Sunday, it's a, it's a six. Too serious. Oh, next Sunday, it's an eight and a half. You know, have we, you know, resorted to us stepping out and made ourselves judges? Like the American Idol judges. You know, like professional guys, you know, wanting to judge something because they know what they're talking about. Or have we assigned ourselves as a courtroom kind of a judge? that actually would take on a gavel and you know, bang the gavel on, on the table and says, guilty as charged. Are we kind of like that? Are we like that people or like that a person that we tend to judge others based on what we see on the externals? About three weeks ago, we had a preaching training uh, in uh, Every Nation building and most of our Lead pastors, the preaching pastors went, and uh, this Asbury professor, Dr. Dave Ward, basically taught us a, you know, another kind of homiletic uh, of preaching to improve the level of preachings that we have all across uh, Metro Manila and even our campus ministry. And so we were there, we were you know, listening to the lecture for about three days, and on the fourth day, we are to prepare a 20-minute sermon that we are to preach before a panel of pastors and the professor himself. And so here I am, I'm preaching before the apostolic team and the other leaders of the different departments. You know, Pastor Saul is in another group, Pastor Jans is in another group, Pastor Marcus also was there, you know, different pastors. It was nerve-wracking. And I'm preaching here every Sunday, but it's different when you're preaching in front of them. And I felt like being judged. And I wanted to, you know, quote this scripture, don't judge my preaching, or less I judge you. You know, but, you know, the, the reminder of the professor is, you're not to judge them, you're not to critic, you are to give positive affirmation. Wow! And some very good constructive corrections, not criticisms. 
How many of you, that's another way of saying judging? <laughs> I still felt like being judged. I mean, I preached for 20 minutes. It seems like eternity. I said, I wanted this to end. Drop the mic and go, you know. Pam. Jesus is talking about this because this seems like it's a normal tendency for any person to do. But yet, why did Jesus say, judge not? What does it mean when he said, judge not? And this is the cry of even of the world, you know, to be free from the standards that governs what is right and wrong. Is Jesus telling us not to judge people by the way they act or the way they behave? This is almost like a self-defense of people outside and say, judge not. You know, don't judge my lifestyle. Don't judge what I'm doing. Don't judge this. Don't judge me for my sin. Because I know God is a merciful God and God is a, you know, how many of you know? Yes, God is a loving God and God is a merciful God. But if you continue in your sin, I'm, I'm doubting if you have really experienced the grace of God. But yet people have used this particular scripture, two words, three words in the NIV, do not judge, as a self-defense for them not to be, you know, uh, subjected to the standards of the Word of God. The Word of God is like a mirror. How many of you know that when you read the Word of God, it judges you? I mean, when we talked about the things that we've been talking about the previous weeks, and Jesus is redefining it, don't murder, but yet if you're angry, you've committed murder in your... How many of you know that when you read that, the word judges us? Yet the unbelievers are saying, don't judge me. I'm not subjected to that. Is, I mean, is that what Jesus meant? But it did not end there. I'm glad that Jesus continued on. It was not judge not period. It is not do not judge period. It's judge not comma. How many of you know there's another statement after judge not? And it says here, judge not that you be not judged. Jesus is not saying to be silent to the moral choices that we have every day. And how many of you know that we all have moral choices every single day? This morning when you woke up, you judged yourself whether to go to church or not. And you judged correctly because you are here. So look at the person beside you and tell that person, congratulations. You judged rightly. When you talk about judging, judging is actually making a decision. Joshua basically was challenging the people of Israel. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. What he's saying is judge for yourself. Who is the God of Israel? Every single day we are to make a moral choice. To make the right choice versus making the wrong choices. What this means is basically he was cautioning them of the danger of being arrogant and being self-righteous in the area of judging. And how many of us have done this? We've judged people on the basis of their actions, and we've been arrogant, and we've been self-righteous, and we felt like we are above them, and we felt like we are better than them, or maybe we're jealous of them. So Jesus does not prohibit making moral standards or judgments. He's not talking about that. He's basically encouraging us to, yeah, continue judging for yourself to choose what is right. Because the reality is we make moral judgments every day. How many of you know that you need to discern people whether they have the right character or not? If you're an employer and if you're hiring people, how many of you know that you are judging people? Based on their resume, based on your interview, you're making a decision. You're discerning if this person is actually called to your company. You know, when we have people come join the ministry, basically, we have a grid or a, you know, a lens that we look through, whether they are called to the ministry or not. We have what you call the four C's. Do you have the calling? Do you have the character? Do you have the competence? And do you have the chemistry to work with this team? Basically, that's what we're looking at. And if we have this lens, how many of you know that that's, Somehow judging. 
We're judging, we're discerning, if I may use the other word. If this person is rightly called here or not. As employers, you will judge those employees if they're the right ones for your company. As a single person, how many singles do we have? Please raise your hand. As a single person, Bodhi. <laughs> you are to judge for yourself the person that God is giving to you. And not just, you know, you cannot just be blindsided or be blind in your choice of a spouse. How I many of you are tracking with me? You know, because the Bible says, Pastor, do not judge. So I just said, you know, okay na to. Pwede na, babae naman. You know. Or if, you are, if you're a female, you know, when you were 20, you were just praying, Lord, give me a man of standard, a man of integrity, a man who fears the Lord, a man who's a worshiper, God. Lord, thank you, Lord. No one comes along. In your 30s, Lord, give me a man. Just give me a man. <laughs> Whoever that man is. You know, you tend to lower our standards already. We can't. That's part of what God has given to us. The ability to discern what is right and wrong. You are to judge. In fact, in the few verses of the same chapter, Jesus is basically telling them to judge. In verse 15, which we'll be talking about two weeks from now, he said, beware of false prophets. I mean, how can you not judge? How can you know if this is a prophet, a right prophet, or a false prophet, unless you judge that false prophet? And then he said, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. We are to be fruit inspectors. If I may use that term. If this guy is the real deal, the Bible says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Isn't that judging? Because he did not say not to judge or make, you know, abdicate your moral duty to discern what is right and wrong. In fact, in another gospel, same chapter 7, John chapter 7, verse 24, he said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with the right judgment. What he's saying is, judge, but with the right judgment. Don't judge harshly. Don't judge unlovingly. Don't judge with wrong motives. Don't love self-righteously. Don't judge like a hypocrite, but judge out of love. Judge out of mercy. Judge out of compassion. Are we getting it? Judge out of pure motives. Judge in the same way the Lord has judged us. We are to judge. God does not want us to have a critical or judgmental attitude. That's what he's talking about here when he said, do not judge. You're not to be a critic. Do you know people like that? Do you know people who are perennial critics? As in everything that they say, it's criticism. I hate this government. I hate this nation. I hate this hotel. I hate this church. I hate the pastor. I hate my wife. I hate my husband. I hate my children. Just go to heaven already. What Jesus is saying is, we're not to give the final verdict on people. Because there's only one judge. And there's only one judge who will say guilty or, oh, guilty or, yeah, how do we say? Guilty or not guilty, you know. We can't just pass judgment on people and dismiss them and say, ah, this guy is no hope anymore. Question. How many of you have wished for someone to go to hell? Don't raise your hand anymore. In your heart, go to hell. Or how many of you are glad that there's a hell? Because you know someone deserves to be there. Of course, there's heaven and hell. 
I believe hell is reserved for the devil. It's not in the very heart of God to see sinners go to hell. He's merciful and His compassion and His patient and His loving kindness. You know, Bodhi just alluded to that earlier. His loving kindness are new every morning. He, he's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to find eternal life. And yet, how dare we sometimes pass judgment on people and say, if this person maybe is your enemy or has done you wrong or an offense, you just say, I just go to hell. You deserve to be here. You just deserve to be there. Why do we judge people? Basically, there are two things. Maybe three or maybe more. But I just wrote two. We judge because sometimes maybe we're jealous. How many of you find that to be true? You judge a person because, hindi naman maganda yung kanyang Louis Vuitton na bag eh. Hindi naman maganda yung kanyang Rolex watch. Maganda pa rin yung Seiko watch ko. You know, hindi naman maganda yung bahay niya. We judge sometimes because we're jealous. We feel that they're better than us. So we put them down. And sometimes maybe you look at sinners who are not attending church and it seems like they're having fun in their life and here you are, you're miserable with righteousness. How dare you enjoy life? And here I am not. How many of you that we can enjoy life? We have freedom in the Lord. But yet sometimes you feel jealous because of what people go through. We feel jealous because we feel that they are better than us, so we put them down. Or, people judge because of self-righteousness. In this particular case, we feel that we are better than them, so we put them down. In the first case, you feel they are better than us, so we put them down. Being a self-righteous critic is one who feels that you are above the others, and so you put the others down. In the second verse, it says, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, what you reap is what you sow. There's another verse as we move along. In the, in maybe two weeks from now, it says, How many of you are familiar with the golden rule? What's the golden rule? He who holds the gold rules. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> do unto others... What's the golden rule again? Do unto others what you would have them do unto you. If I may borrow the golden rule and apply it here in verse 2, judge unto others as you would have them judge unto you. That is the golden rule of judging. With the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. You know, we, I, re, I realize that we are very good lawyers for our own wrongs, but very good judges for the wrongs of others. We make a defense for our mistakes. We make a defense for our wrongs. We make a defense for our sin. But yet, we are good judges. Somebody once says, a very famous author named Anonymous. I always see this Anonymous. You know? That's why he's very famous. Go ahead, judge me. Just remember to be perfect for the rest of your life. Dwight Morrow, a businessman, a politician back in the 1800s, says, We judge ourselves by our motives, and we judge others by their action. Even if you do a mistake or if you do a wrong action, you, know, you justify, my motives were right. I have a pure motive. But yet, we don't even check the motive of others when we judge them. We just base it on what they do externally, and we tend to put them down. In verse 3, let's move on. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log or the plank in the NIV? It says, in your own eye. Have you ever seen a log or a plank? A plank is what they use for construction. These are like big materials to put walls or whatever, floorings. We tend to see the speck, the tiny particle that is in the eye of your brother. And how many of you have had an experience of, if, if I'm using the word Tagalog, napuwing. You were speckled. Napuwing ka, naspeckled ka. Isn't that so uncomfortable and painful sometimes, especially if it's like a sand in your eye? And what do you do? 
You ask your friend or your wife or your brother, can you please blow on my eye? Is there really an effect on that? I don't know. We just do that, right? Or maybe you should wash it or whatever. But we see what's wrong with others, but we fail to see what's wrong with us. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse 4 is actually related to that. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is that log in your own eye? You know, I realize that somehow God uses other people's issue to help us realize that we ourselves have issues of our own. And how many of you know that no one's perfect? You have issues. How many of you have issues? Please raise your hand. I have issues. But then sometimes what we do is we take the liberty to be doctors. Let me treat you. And I'll fix you. I'll fix you. Before you fix others, hey, fix yourself first. That's why Jesus added this statement. It's almost like a punctuation mark. Or how can you say to your brothers, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You know what the punctuation mark is? You hypocrite. That's the punctuation mark there. Boom. Didn't Jesus just judge them? Lord, you just judged me. Because he was not talking about not to judge. He was reading their hearts. And sometimes, here we are, we are, we felt like, we feel like we have the license to be the corrector of everybody. And I just want to correct you because I know the answer. I just want to change your ways or don't wear that or don't act like that or don't feel that way. How many of you know that's going to be a good counseling technique? Just don't do this. Just change. You know, that's, but yet, Jesus is saying we're hypocrites. Before we judge others, we are to judge ourselves humbly first. Before you notice the speck or the wrong or the mistakes or the sin. And we're not to just put a blind eye on the sin of others. That is not what Jesus is talking about. What he is saying is, before you help others, you first fix yourself. You know how it is, right? You know, when you ride the plane and you know, they give an instruction and you know, when it's an air pocket or when the, you know, when the cabin decompresses, you know, there's a, you know, this whatever gadget that falls out, put this oxygen or mask on your face first before you help others. Because our tendency is to judge others before we judge ourselves. And I remember in Luke chapter 18, there's a a parable there that Jesus actually said, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He was pointing to the guy praying beside him. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And how many of us do that? Yes, we practice that, but this guy is bragging about what he's practicing and judging the fellow beside him about his mistake. Whereas the other guy was praying this, but the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, Jesus is saying, went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. When we judge, we tend to elevate ourselves. We tend to somehow feel that we are better than others. But yet, God just wants you to be vulnerable and be transparent before Him and say, Lord, this is the real me. I am in need of Your grace. I am in need of changing. I have problems. I have issues. I have sins. I have mistakes. I have, you know, bad habits or whatever. Before you start judging others, 
I hope that we will come before the Lord and in humility judge ourselves and say, God, I don't deserve your mercy, but I am grateful that I received mercy. You know, it's so different when we receive the mercy of God and after receiving the mercy of God, if you really know that you have been forgiven, it will change the way you look at others. It will change the way you look at others. People are quick to judge others but slow to point out their own. That's why even the Apostle Paul was saying this when he was writing to Timothy. The, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he wasn't pointing his finger to people, but he was pointing the fingers to him, of whom I am the foremost. In the NIV, it says, of whom I am the worst. I am the worst of all the sinners. He was not bragging about Oh, I wrote all the epistles, God. You know, I went to all these missionary journeys. I didn't have just one or two missionaries. I had three. I raised up all these pastors. I founded all these churches. He was not even talking about that. Before the judge of all judges, he saw himself naked before the Lord. And he said, I am the worst of all sinners. That is how we are to judge ourselves. In humility before the Lord, we are to take a proper estimation of who we are and say, God, it's not by my own achievements or what I have done simply because of the grace and the mercy of God. Let's continue. In verse 5, it says, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And what is this log in our eye? Some commentators are saying it is the pride of hypocrisy. Sometimes you don't see your mistakes because you have pride. And this is the log that is blocking your eye. You just see what's wrong with others, but you fail to see what's wrong with you. And this is the sin of pride. Recognize that before you look at the issues of others, you need to first address your own issues. But yet, it didn't stop there. It was a comma. You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly. Jesus is saying, take it out so that you will see clearly. Ah, okay. So this is how we are to act before the Lord. Take out the log from our own eyes so that we will see clearly. But yet, the statement is not yet a period. There's another statement after this. And it says, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Isn't that judging? We just talked about this. You said not to look at the speck in his eye, but now you're telling me to take the speck out of his eye. Are you getting, are you tracking with me? I mean, are we understanding this verse? The verse is saying, you hypocrite, before you help others, be right with me. Take the log, take your pride, take your, you know, your judgmental attitude, take your pharisaical spirit, take your, criti- you know, your, your v- critical spirit and attitude. Take it out. And be humble so that you will see clearly because I have something that I am assigning for you to do and that is to help your brother instead of being a critic of your brother. You are to be a guide and an aide and a friend and a brother. And Jesus basically summarized his teachings. If there's anything that you will remember, it's this. He was talking about this in the book of John. A new commandment I give to you that you are to love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. And this is really the motive why we are to take out the log from our own eye so that we can see clearly. I can see clearly now as the song goes. Because God has assigned us to help another brother out of love. Love forbids me to mind my own business and instead help another person in need. It is love that forbids me to be jealous of another brother or be self-righteous with another brother so that I can actually help them in their walk with God. 
Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. God wants us to follow Him. And in following Jesus, we are to help others follow Him as well. We are not to be stumbling blocks, but we are to be building blocks. We are to build people, not to put them down. We're not to criticize them, we're to help them. And yet there's this last verse that is just so, so out of whack. You know, Lord, why did you say this? Verse 6. You're talking about you know, speck and then love. You're talking about do not judge. And now you're talking about dogs and pigs. Did you notice that? In verse 6 we've read, anong connection ito? Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs. Lest they trample underfoot and they turn to attack you. This can actually be another sermon. But basically what this means is when you talk about pearls and what is holy, it's talking about the gospel. And dogs have been somehow used as a proverb to describe unbelievers. If you remember, Jesus talked to another Samaritan woman and he said, you know, it is not right for us to throw the breads into dogs. Remember that story? And this Samaritan woman basically said, but even the dogs can enjoy the crumbs. That is an amazing faith, Jesus said. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about referring to our, you know, our being entrusted of the word of God. And what he's saying is discern for yourself if the people that you are reaching out to are ready to hear the word because there are some who are like dogs and pigs and swine. A dog, the Bible says, returns to its vomit and a swine basically you know, wallows in the mud. They will basically waste your time, and they will just attack you and make it negative for you. Basically, it's still about judging. It's about discerning the timing of God for the gospel to be shared. I want to ask the music team to join me here on stage. Yeah, when you talk about judgment, ultimately we have one judge. And the judgment of the world will be done in the end of time. In fact, if you look at our role as saints in 2 Corinthians chapter, oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, we will judge the world. You and I will actually judge the world. We will sit beside Jesus in judging the world, beside the judge. But yet at that cross, God poured out His judgment on one man. And Jesus basically took all the punishment on our behalf. That's why we hear this particular statement in Romans. So there's therefore now no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. And when you talk about condemnation, this is not that feeling of being condemned or feeling of guilt. This is condemnation going to the fires of hell. There is therefore now no more eternal punishment for us who are in Christ Jesus because of what happened on that cross. The judgment of God has been paid for on our behalf. And this is who we are as people of God. In John chapter 12, this is my final, my final scripture. I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person for I did not come to judge the world but to what? To save the world. He came here to save us not to judge us. And as brothers and as brothers keepers we are not there to judge others we are there to bring them to Christ and to bring them into the saving knowledge of Him. In verse 48 it says there is one judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at that day. We have a choice. Either we accept what Christ offers or do not accept what Christ offers. With that, we will be judged. Let's bow our heads right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, I realize that we all judge in accordance of your mercy and your grace not just so that we can put other people down but so that we can help restore others and bring them back to you 
Lord, I thank you for this congregation who are here today. For those of us who are Christians, my prayer is that we will have a change of heart today, that we will not have a critical, pharisaical attitude towards others. In fact, why don't we all just lay our hands on our hearts all across this room. Father God, we ask for a change of heart even right now. Lord, we repent for judging people. We repent of being quick to criticize. We repent of being self-righteous. We repent of putting to them our own standards, which is in reality a low standard. You said to be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, but yet we're trying to say that we are better than them. For that, we are sorry and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, change us, Lord, and I pray that we will not have a heart heart that is a heart of stone, but I thank you, Lord God, that you will give us a heart that is soft and pliable before you. So that instead of judgment, may we have mercy. Instead of a critical spirit, may we have compassion. And I thank you, Lord God, that you will move on our behalf so that we will reach out to our brothers who are in need. Help us to restore those who have fallen because we could be in their place. But yet by your mercy and by your grace, we can stand and we can be strong. Thank you, Lord. One last prayer. You may put your hands down. If you're here this morning and you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a judgment someday. And the good thing about what He did on the cross is He took our place and He took the punishment that is supposed to be ours and He paid the penalty of our sins. And if you are here this morning and if you want to receive the gift of eternal life and receive what Jesus did, I want you to pray this prayer and I want to invite everyone to pray it out loud. Let's just pray this. Lord Jesus, I repent of all my sins. I acknowledge that you have given your life on the cross to, give, uh, to, to pay the penalty for all my sins. I confess that Jesus is my Lord and I believe that he is raised from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for giving me eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.